It's Two Brain Radio. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf tactics to help you improve your fitness business and move you closer to wealth. And now, here's your host, the most interesting man in fitness, Chris Cooper. This episode is brought to you by Two Brain Seminars. I've been doing seminars for about five years, and my focus has really changed. Starting back in Fort Lauderdale, you know, a long time ago, I was just trying to deliver everything that I possibly knew in like a three-hour window. And now that I know a lot more about cognitive load and memory and how you can actually process information, what I try and do now is create a really comprehensive one-day experience. This year, we're going to be starting on April 16th down at CrossFit Steel Creek in Charlotte. Hope you can join us. We're going to go 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. with a breakfast the next day because the point here now is really to spur discussion. If you've read my books, if you've heard me at seminars before, you've heard a lot of content. And usually what happens is people go home from these seminars and they're so overwhelmed with information that they're paralyzed. They fail to take action. There's just too much. And so the point of a seminar now is really to get you a solid foundation, get you moving in the right direction, and get you some traction so that you can start progressing toward a better gym. One seminar, one weekend, even if it's a week long, is not going to fix your gym. What it is going to do, though, is be a catalyst for change. And the next step is going to be a program like Ramp Up, our mentoring program. Or it might be continuation through our Silver Monthly Call program. Whatever that is, the point is that I want to get you inspired, motivated, and moving in the right direction as fast as I possibly can. At this seminar in Charlotte, there's already about 25 different gym owners signed up. You're going to participate in some group collaboration. I'm going to talk for several hours. We're going to get some brainstorming going, and this should be the kickoff to the start of a new gym for you, the start of a new life. This could be the turning point. Sign up online at twobrainbusiness.com slash seminars. This podcast is also brought to you by the Spinal Fit Seminar. April 2nd, we're going to be down in Georgia for Dr. Philip Carlisle's Introduction to the Spinal Basics, How to Warm People Up how to coach people who have a spinal challenge, how to work together with chiropractors, and how to especially service people who are elderly or have had maybe a history of injury in the past. This is a great way to broaden your clientele. It's a great way to learn more about treating high-level athletes or people who maybe have an injury, or maybe it's just to help people who've never really moved before but need to get that kind of mobility going before they can really move toward fitness. This is going to be a great class by a very passionate ex-marine and now chiropractor. Philip is a very enthusiastic speaker. We're going to be doing a lot of hands-on stuff that you wouldn't normally get in like a CrossFit or a a fitness certification at all. Sign up. The course is also at twobrainbusiness.com slash seminars. This episode is the second part of a discussion on using tech to enhance fitness. More and more, we're seeing these people come into our gyms wearing a Fitbit already, or maybe walking right past our gyms to go to an Orange Theory down the street, or another place that's embraced tech more than we have. We have the best mode of fitness. You know, I'm absolutely confident saying that. However, we're using 2001 technology to measure 2016 results. We're dealing with a different client base now than we were then. They're more tech savvy. They're probably younger. They're used to getting instant feedback and instant reward mechanisms from staring at a screen. And so we have to look through this as how can we leverage tech instead of just looking past it and saying, no, that's no good. In this episode, we're going to talk to Peter Jan Boismans, and he is the owner of CrossFit Hasselt in Belgium. Peter Jan is a real innovator. 
and he's been using heart rate technology in his classes and with one-on-one clients for well over a year now. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on what's happening in the States. A lot of you are familiar with the Orange Theory model. In case you're not, what happens in Orange Theory is that you go into a gym and it looks a lot like a CrossFit gym except probably a lot cleaner with really good branding and you see this giant scoreboard and you're wearing a heart rate monitor and on the scoreboard it shows your heart rate. Now we know that heart rate is just a correlate of fitness but there are a thousand different ways we can look at that correlate to guide workouts and workout traffic and perceived exertion and people coming into the gym too. For example, if we took a workout like Karen and we said do wall balls until your heart rate rises above 175 beats per minute to choose an arbitrary number. And then I want you to stop and rest until your heart rate drops below 155 again. And I want you to keep going until you've done 150 wall balls. How does that change the training benefit? How does that train change the perception of exertion, the perception of intensity, the perception of value in the mind of the client? We would be negligent not to consider these things. And so if your primary goal is to keep a client engaged and interested for 10 years, you have to be looking at these things as both novelty and tool. You also have to realize that novelty has its own value as a tool. Most of us were brought to CrossFit because of the novelty of a different workout every day, the unknown, the unknowable, etc. But ask a gym owner if they're still doing you know, CrossFit.com workouts and at least nine times out of ten, the answer is going to be no, because even that novelty has lost its novelty after a couple of years. So are we just using toys here or are we using tools? That's the question I'm asking Peter Jan, and I think that he is using heart rate technology uh, as far as he can in a group class. I think that he's got his eyes on new developments, and I'm going to be pursuing those new developments myself, both in conversation with Polar who used to supply the heart rate monitors for Orange Theory and now got left holding the bag with a ton of technology and really nowhere to use it. And in my own gyms this summer, we're going to be running a test using heart rate technology one-on-one outside the gym to assign homework and in a class setting. I'll be talking more about that as it goes. But for now, enjoy this interview with Pirion Boismans. Realize that this guy is ahead of the curve in a lot of different technological areas. He's also a former professional athlete and he's a professional coach. He's a great box owner. He sees things before others do, and he's going to tell you all about it. Enjoy. Peter Jan Boismans, welcome to Two Brain Radio. Hi. Nice to be here. Thanks, man. So uh, just why don't you tell us, you know, your story about uh, finding and starting CrossFit, and then, you know, what's CrossFit like in Belgium? Okay, I started CrossFitting about five years ago. I actually started after injuring my back snowboarding. I used to do competitive freestyle snowboarding. I did my initial rehab in the hospital and I was searching for uh, some guided personal training afterwards because I didn't want to hit the gym alone straight after coming from the hospital. And I actually found the CrossFit close by. It was at that time, I think one of three in the entire country. Wow. Uh, I think in the early year, I knew about everybody who crossed in Belgium on a first name basis <laughs> since we all went to the same events. And now five years later, I own two boxes and they're about in the 70 boxes in Belgium. And I think since January, about 
seven or eight boxes open, so it's going really, really quickly at the moment. 70 boxes in Belgium now. Wow. And so I know you as an entrepreneurial guy. What made you want to open up the gym in the first place? I actually started with a really extensive uh, garage gym. So I had everything up until reverse hypers and stuff like that. Just really, really complex one. Um, I had more and more friends coming over to train. And I found that I really enjoyed teaching, coaching. Um, by that time in my state, there hadn't been another box yet. So I could be the first one in my state. Now, saying state in Belgium is a lot smaller than it would be in America or Canada. But still, I could be the first one in my state. So I opened up in my state's capital. Um, after a year, we actually expanded to a box three times its size. And now, a year later, we opened the second one. Oh, congratulations, man. That's great. So I know um, part of your success is due to, again, your entrepreneurial nature and you're always looking for what's the next thing that's going to help my clients and help my business. So uh, what brought you to Polar or just to heart rate monitoring in general? Actually, uh, it's about a year ago, I think I started dabbling with it. We have a college rowing team that we help train. We have a lot of triathletes that we help train. Um, I was talking to their trainers and they used it a lot. Being as like more of a cyclical sport, they, they use it a lot. And I thought like, I'm more of a nerdy kind of guy as in, I like numbers. I like seeing facts. And I thought it's, it could be a cool metric to add. In the beginning, I didn't really know what I could do with it, but seeing as I'm a bit geeky, I thought, well, I'll just buy a system and I'll try it out and I'll see where it goes from there. And I've been doing that pretty successfully. We do it as a specialty program from time to time. I use it in personal training a lot and we use it in group classes as well from time to time. We have certain benchmarks we created using the metrics from the Polar app. So people like it. It's also... Even if you, if you discard all the information you can get it, people like it as a novelty. It looks cool. It's something different. So even that has a, has a benefits. Yeah, I think uh, that's one of the things that we're seeing in the States with gyms like Orange Theory using the big heart rate scoreboards and uh, using, using heart rate monitors to track that stuff too. But paint me a picture of what this looks like in practice. And group class or personal training or... Let's start with personal training first because that's probably simplest, right? Yeah. I think uh, we just do it like, like it, depending on what they have programmed, like let's say uh, we're doing like a little bit of a recovery workout. I found it really hard to find a decent pacing for people because if they're not used to it, if they're not competitive athletes, chances are they don't have any clue what real pacing is. So we might say like we program like a 5k row and speed would go up and down. But now we started to program it for them 5k row, but your heartbeat has to stay under 140 beats per minute. So that's the easiest way you can use it because they see the screen. They know if they're going too fast. They know if they're getting too slow. So we just put, put like a margin from 130 to 140 where they have to stay in and they learn how to pace. The fun thing is, like, I might give it to them two times that, that they get to see the screen, 
and the third time I put down the screen on the rower and I turn away the screen of the heart rate monitor. And now they have to try and find the pacing themselves. So I use it a few times as just like getting to know the feeling, what the pacing, the correct pacing should feel like. And then I take away the information and they need to try and duplicate it as, as good as possible. So, because I think it only has value if, if they can learn to uh, put it into practice when they don't have the heart rate monitor. Because like CrossFit, it is functional fitness. Probably in real life, you're not always going to wear a heart monitor. I know some people do, but most of the people coming to class won't. So I think it's a really valuable, valuable tool also to teach them the pacing, even when you take the information away from them. I think that's really interesting. Um... You know, we, we talk about kinesthetic feedback and motor learning, and we're usually talking about the external, you know, uh, going core to extremity in our lifts. And sometimes using tech like video can help people understand when they're not fully extending their hips. But this is the first time I've heard somebody mention um, learning kinesthetic awareness internally. So what kind of success have you seen with these people learning how to pace better? I think... My best case scenario was I had a guy that has, I think like in about a year, he'll probably make regionals in Europe. And mm. um, he came from a calisthenics background. So one year into CrossFit, he could snatch uh, 115 kgs. So that's, I think about 250, 260 pounds. Yep. Uh, he can do muscle ups all day. He would crush people on every workout that was a bit heavy and short. But as soon as he had to pace himself, he would lose it completely. Because his background in sports was never something with a lot of engine capacity. Right. So I trained him like I gave him a heart monitor at least three, four times a week. And he had to do 5K spaced. I had him go hiking an hour paced, like all different kind of things. I had him do interval training where he could only start again his next interval when his heart rate came down below 130. So, and his score for that workout was the reps. So it would be something like we do, we do 10 intervals of three minutes on, and then the off would be, I have to find my words in English. The, the rest period would be like, as soon as his heart rate would go below 130, he could start again. But for, for somebody that's really competitive, his score was not only the reps, but also the total time it took to complete the 10 intervals. So he had to really watch his heart rate that it didn't go up too fast. Otherwise, he ha would have to rest too long before he could start again. So by now, this, this Open, he is, I think at the moment, 11 in the country. For somebody that's doing CrossFit a little over one year and a half, it's super. And he's actually getting there real high up there and also like workouts where he has to pace himself just because he's learned to pace himself better. And he, he has learned to, to not go completely in the red from, from the first beep. I think a lot of the new people also have that problem. And then what I've also used for him is like for people who are used to training a lot, it's, it's an easy line between training a lot and overtraining. So one of the metrics that I have him put down is his resting heart rate as soon as he gets up in the morning. And if we see that go up, like from week to week, we know we have to program a deload week because he's probably getting overtrained. So it's one of the metrics we use in, in, 
and seeing if he's training too much, too little. Okay, I'm getting really excited to ask you follow-up questions on all of this, but what does walk me through the conversation you have with this athlete? Let's say it's the start of um, an interval training program. What exactly are you telling them to do? So basically, I tell them two things. Let's say it's an interval training with dam reps. I'll use that example. So I'm saying to him, you have two goals here. One goal is the same one you know and you do well, is get as many reps as possible in the three minutes. The second goal is get your heart rate down as fast as possible after, afterwards and don't let it go up that much from where you don't recover anymore. So I have them, like when we train our competitive athletes, I have them fill out pages and pages of information. So what is the information I want to get from that workout? First, the reps. It's the same every time. So like I want to see about the same amount of reps every time. Is average heart rate during the three minutes? Is peak heart rate? A little bit less important, but something they have to write down. But more importantly, how long does it take for his heart rate to go down below 130? So we can measure at what time it takes him longer or at what average heart rate it takes him longer to recover to go down 130. So we know we have to pace him a little bit more in that zone. Because if he goes out, like let's say a seven-minute AMRAP, and in, three, in the first three minutes he goes too, too fast and his heart rate goes up too much, he won't recover enough to keep intensity up during the next four minutes. So it's one of the metrics, like if you, if you look up, I've been doing that last year, if you look up like the metrics for heart rate and which ones are important, actually max heart rate, the, the formula that's like widely accepted is really flawed so it doesn't work so the problem with that one is they take like uh, 220 heartbeats a minute this uh, minus the age of the person but it, it doesn't take into calculation how fit they are so if you would have two twins and one would be doing endurance training his entire life and the other didn't do anything they would have the same max heart rate which you know in, pra in, in practice it, it would never work that way. But what is more important is like heart rate recovery and heart rate recovery differential. And that's meaning like when his workouts, his first interval ends, you have a heart rate. A minute after, you also have a heart rate. The heart rate after a minute is the heart rate recovery. And the difference between the two is a differential. And if you can get the differential up, meaning, uh, he recovers faster, you will have a healthier heart. It's an actual metric cardiologist use. There has also been, I think, uh, in October, somewhere around 2000, year 2000, in the New England Journey of Medicine, they did a study and it, they concluded that it actually had to be like at least 13 beats a minute that your heart rate drops in the first minute, otherwise you your risk to die of cardiac disease goes up a lot in the next six years. So it's an actual metric they use to see how healthy and hard a heart is. So you can also like, we use that one a lot just to see if his cardiac fitness is going up. So if you know that heart rate differential goes up, his, his heart is actually getting fitter. So it's something we, we look at and it's one of the metrics we use. 
That's really interesting. So if you had no other way to measure fitness except for using heart rate monitoring, how would you tell how fit a person was? Would it be this heart rate differential? Uh, actually, it would be, but it, you would really be dependent on the type of workouts you do. Because let's say you have a workout, I did it like two two weeks ago, where you put assault bikes and uh, box jumps afterwards, or you could add something in like burpees. If you have a person that doesn't have a lot of muscle endurance and goes real hard in the first 20 seconds of a assault bike, and then goes really hard on 10 box jumps, their legs will be really, really fatigued. And you actually see they don't get their heart rate up that much in the next interval because their legs are not able to push hard enough for them. Because you will have like a lot of lactate buildup. Mm -hmm. So they would have to rest. Otherwise, they couldn't jump on the box. They cannot push the assault bike hard enough anymore. So their heart rate doesn't go up. So you could use it as, as an actual test. We also do it. It's one of the benchmarks we do. But you have to re be really careful with what you, you program. Because you want to fatigue them on a cardiac level and not muscle fatigue. Because otherwise they will fail before their heart rate goes up high enough. And the, the metrics don't matter. If you only go up to like 60%, your differential is going to be real different. Because your baseline will be closer to your peak it's what they call like the heart rate reserve like if you take your t theoretical max heart rate and you take your baseline the difference between the two is the reserve you can use in fitness the bigger your reserve the more you can push because you yeah you have more reserve so let's say that somebody did have good aerobic or cardiac capacity but they didn't have good muscular endurance. So you notice that they weren't even able to get their heart rate up very much at all in the second workout. I think we see this with um, maybe runners coming into the gym. Uh, what do you do with them? What kind of programming do you do to correct that? Uh, first of all, it's the easiest is basic process because they will learn, they will learn to, to fatigue their muscles. So if you have somebody that's really good aerobically, it's not somebody who would use the heart rate monitor in the beginning because we really just want them to push themselves. On a competition level, on a personal training, there is a lot of things you could do. You could see at what point they start to fatigue and stay just below that for as long as possible. Or you could do go up in the red, like have them do, if they fatigue at 10, have them do 12 reps on the box jumps, but then recover, do 12 again, recover, but they had to be unbroken. So it's, it's different stuff you could program around but if you would use the example of just a runner coming in i would just have him do crossfit okay what if i had a client uh, for personal training and she's 45 years old and overweight is there an application for the technology there i think it's there is definitely an application just to learn have them learn how to pace themselves because i think like it's one of the problems also, like if you would do like an actual stress test, one of the basic ones you could do, and you would do it on a treadmill of like, uh, I think it's like two and a half, one and a half miles running where you could, you could test max heart rate. A lot of people want to give up, especially like the example of the 45 year lady. Let's say you have a run on a treadmill and their calf gets stiff and they would say, oh, this is my max. I cannot anymore just because the staff calf is stiff. If you could show them the matter like, hey, at this point, your heart rate isn't really up that much, you could probably 
go a little longer or hey we'll put you on a rower to ease up on that calf but i'm sure you could push a little harder it's like for people on the same side you could actually show them show them a metric they care about because like more so especially like the older clients are like i don't want to have a heart attack doing this so they'll ease up in the beginning because they're like i'm not fit so you could actually show them like no we're still we're still okay you can push a little harder or on the other side if you have like somebody coming in that pushes too hard you're like nah we're gonna stay below this level and see how long you can ride it out so it's definitely useful you just have to see like at this point it's a metric you can use not just on like a standalone it fits in with all the rest you already do so i just see it as an added bonus that we can offer okay so let's talk about class settings here um let's say that i've got a standard crossfit class have you tried this where everybody's wearing a heart rate monitor and watching their heart rate on a screen yeah we actually do it like uh and the second gym we have a big screen tv mm-hmm. and then the other one we use a projection projector on a white wall so uh, they can all see it the only thing is like you have to explain them don't watch the zones because polar they use like the zones but because you cannot calculate max heart rate the zones has no meaning Mm -hmm. but we do it a lot with interval training like uh, sometimes they have to like six between six and ten intervals and they can only do ten if their heart rate drops down below 130 in the next two minutes after finishing the first one. So we add, like, we calculate volume they can do on a condition workout, depending on how well their heart recovers between intervals. Um, it's stuff like, you can do a lot of things, like like you can, you can do a lot of things, like you can pace a number of intervals. You can pace it like in the warm up, like, okay, I wanna see intensity. So like you have them do like half a round of a workout or part of a workout doing the warm up and like as long as you can stay with your heart rate above a certain level you're allowed to use the weight. Hmm. Cuz let's say you do like a deadlift and if they cannot if the deadlift is way too high for them you'll see like the intensity go down a lot just because they have to wait like 20 seconds before they can attempt a second lift. So it's a way you could use it to scale, saying like, for this workout, I want intensity. I don't care about the weight. The only thing I care about is intensity. Like you talk a lot about like, uh, not future based, but uh, you talk about like the program you use, like benefit based instead of future based. Yeah. It's one of the ways you can explain it. Like we're looking today for intensity. I want you to be at least above 140 or above 150, depending on who you have in front of you. So you can try in a warm up, do a few rounds, but if you see, if I see you resting too much and you go down below 130 in your workout, you have to scale down the weight. So it's one of the things you do. Okay. We don't do it on a daily basis, but it's sometimes we teach it to them, like teaching like intensity before weight, especially with the guys. They usually are weight in front of intensity. <laughs> yeah. So okay. it's a teacher's tool. I usually call it like you c- cannot teach a class only using it, but it's one of the tools in your back. And sometimes it really helps with people explaining them because sometimes like saying that that lives already clean, their technique would still be fine with a higher weight, just not the intensity you're looking for. And you can actually show them they're not reaching that intensity. 
So, because for a lot of people that that heavy deadlift still feels heavy there. So they're like, what are you saying? This is intense. <laughs> I'm putting all my effort in it, but they don't, they cannot phantom at that moment. Like it's not the same intensity we're looking at. It doesn't have to be hard getting it up. It has to be, I have to be hard keeping it moving fast enough. So that's one of the ways we, we sometimes use it in the class setting. Okay. And you know, you and I have used the, the number 130 beats per minute as an example, uh, but that's pretty yeah. arbitrary. So how do you determine, you know, um, when you're talking to a client, how do you say, I want you to stay above this level or below this level? How do you find that level? Really, it's just like one of the basic metrics that you could use. You could maybe like scale it down a little bit depending on age or fitness that come in. But really, it's sometimes just pick a level you're comfortable at. Okay. Like it doesn't have to be like we do it with some of our competition clients that we actually have them. We have in the building next to us in our first gym. We have a cardiologist. So we have them perform an actual stress test where you can get all the real metrics of like max heart rate, VO2 max, like the threshold and stuff like that. And then you could actually put in a really mathematical number like 127 heartbeats below that and that would be correct. But in a class setting, it doesn't matter that much. If it's an average, like that's why we use a lot of times like between 120 and 130, if it drops below that, you can go again. It's not that important, I think. It's the same as like when you're lifting and you're in a normal class setting. If it's 62 or 66% of, of a one rep max, I don't think it matters that much for every client you have, especially not for the 45-year-old woman trying to be a little bit fitter. Mm-hmm. It's more like it, between 60 and 90%, it's a big difference, but... Between 60 and 65, 60 and 70, it really doesn't matter that much. Okay. So I know a lot of people will be thinking about the utility. And uh, in the States, people are pretty familiar with Orange Theory and how that looks. But if I walk into your gym and we're going to be using heart rate monitors in class today, what's that process? Walk me through it from signing out the heart rate monitor or assigning it to, you know, all that stuff. So... First off, when people come into our gym, when they come in, we have like a front desk with an iPad. They have to sign in for glasses. Mm-hmm. And when it's a heart rate class, the person that behind the desk, they will assign them a heart rate monitor and put their name in uh, the Polar app. We don't do any of the metrics like height, uh, age and stuff because that's only useful for the max heart rate. And that's a flawed equation as it is. So it's really just inputting the name. You can keep them as players in the app, so once it's done, their name is inside. You just have to add them to the new session. And then you assign them, like we have uh, 15 heart rate monitors. They're numbered 1 to 15. You assign them a number, and then you pair it. So it happens as soon as they get in. It doesn't matter if they don't wear it during the warm-up or during the stretching, or if you have a skill. Let's say you're doing chest of in the skill portion. You probably don't want them doing those <laughs> wearing the heart rate monitors. Yeah, bar muscle out. So as, as soon as it's paired, it doesn't matter anymore. It will stay paired. Even let's say you're doing like a run and they run outside and they're out of range. As soon as they come back in the range, it pairs again. So it's just easy. Like in the beginning of the class, you pair them up, then we put on the screen, we explain the workout, we have them do a few warm-ups if it's intervals, 
see how is it, how how does it feel like having your heart rate up that much? Because let's say you're doing a 800 meter run and you're running outside, you're probably not going to run beside him with the iPad like, hey, your heart rate's up. <laughs> so you can, let's say you want their heart rate to be at 150, 160, you just have them run the feeling in the gym, show them like, hey guys, this is 160, try to keep it up at this pace. And then you just start a class. Okay. It's and really not that difficult. I think in the beginning it's a lot of work because you're inputting all 12 names. Yep. Like we have classes of 12, but when you do it for a week, two weeks, most of the names are in and it doesn't, it's a really fast system. So what do, what do they see? Uh, is there a big scoreboard? How are their names displayed? How do they know what their heart rate is? Yeah, they have like each have a little cubicle and it says uh, their name, percentage, Really, it's the zone thing. It doesn't matter. Uh, the cubicle has a color depending on which zone you're in. And then it says heart rate. And we just learn them, like, only look at heart rate. All the rest of the ins- information doesn't matter. Um, it's easy. As long as the screen is big enough, it's really easy to, to see the heart rate. And for us, that's all that matters. I don't look at the zones. I don't look at the colors. We explain it to them in the beginning of the class. And it works. Okay. And a good coach will only really need to see the heart rates anyway. Um, what type of screen are we using? Like, let's get into the details here. Do people buy their own chest straps? How does that work? No, we, I have about, I think about 30, 40 chest straps. And we have them disinfect them after class. So we have a solution for that, have them disinfect them after class. And then when they're used that day, uh, I take them home. They can go in a washing machine. So, okay. Do you see people using this tool a lot and, um, you know, are they gaming it? How, how are they using it? Saying like the normal client usually only uses it when we're doing it in the class. And then sometimes when they're doing open gym, they try it. Okay. When we do a training individual program, we program it as is, and then they use it about two, three times a week, depending on where, where they're at or what their needs um, I think more, the fun thing is like people like it. It's flashy colors. It's a screen. It's tech. Like people like it seeing it in class. So we don't use it every day, but there is like, oh, it's a heart rate class again. Fun. Okay. So um, let's say that you wanted to close your gym for a weekend or something. Could you ostensibly give everybody in the gym a heart rate monitor and a homework assignment? and track how well they do on their homework. If they send me the information, because of this, I don't, I actually haven't tried it as them, but they're part of my team. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if Polar, if they use their personal app and link to heart rate monitor, I don't think Polar would send me the information automatically, but they could, could send me a screenshot and you can also set it up. Like it's one of the cool things. Like if you add their name and you add an email account, you can, email them the results directly from the app. So from the entire session, the results, it's a nice graph, they get it. So they could probably do it the other way around as well. I haven't tried that yet, but it would probably work that they just send me the graphs and I could read it. Okay. The difficult thing is like, it's only one metric. So could you really say I'm like, you did well if they were running with the shittiest technique imaginable? (laughs) Would you want to say to them, oh yeah, that was a really good training? I probably won't. Maybe with your more experienced athletes, you could do it that way, but definitely not with everyone. 
Okay. Um, have you seen any intangible benefit to this? You know, are you attracting a different type of client because you're using this now? Do you think that it helps you keep clients around longer? I think it works like with older people and people coming from the urine site. In the beginning, we had a lot of questions like, should I wear a heart monitor? Why don't you use them? And for them, it just feels safer. I don't know why. Like, it's it's not... In my opinion, it's not more safe or less safe, but for them, it actually feels safer. And then we, with our speciality programs, we sometimes do like a six week endurance program mm -hmm. where we uh, put it in, like when we, when we put out the ad, like we're holding it, we, we host it as one of the benefits. So you get like more endurance strains, Especially like we have a lot of people doing OCR racing and stuff like that, but on an amateur level. So they see it like, oh, I'm going to learn some of the theory behind it. So it gives a certain sense of ex expertise if you can explain why you're using it, how you're using it. So I wouldn't go as far as saying like it's given me a lot of clients, but it, it's definitely presented value to the clients that come in. And you said that you can email the results from a group workout to each client afterward if you want to? Yeah, their personal results, I can do that. So when I set up their profile, you can add an email. And then when you end the session, you could say email results too. So that works. That's very interesting. Who else in Belgium is using this technology right now? I actually don't know. <laughs> to be honest, I, don't, I think there was one gym that did it, but I don't know. Like I know they do like the group last setting and then they work with the zones more. Yeah. So I'm really supporting that, but I don't know actually if they use it a lot. I probably like one way or another, some gyms will use it because these days you have a lot of people that are actually already wearing it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's something like, it's also one of the reasons I started. I already saw people like normal clients coming in a gym, wearing a heart rate monitor and trying to pace it for themselves, but not, not knowing the theory behind it. So it was also good, like already the people that are using it, that you could explain them, hey, it's cool that you're using it, but I really want you to watch this metric and not just like max heart rate and like explain to them, like, this is what I'm looking for. And this is what's actually going to give you some benefit and not just look like, hey, isn't my peak heart rate going too, too high? Oh, it's peaked at this level. Now I really have to drop intensity by that much. So like educating the clients you already have because they're already using some sort of a system. So we're seeing it more and more where people come into the gym wearing a Fitbit or a Apple watch or something else that's supposed to be tracking these metrics. Um, and I think the, the response for a lot of gym owners is to be defensive and say, you know, that's a garbage metric that heart rate is just a correlative fitness. Um, are you saying that we're better off to understand how to use the technology that way? I think at least like, even if you're, let's say you're not a nutrition coach, I think you should know some basics about nutrition if your client asks about it. Mm -hmm. So if one of your clients wearing a heart rate monitor and they come in like, hey, you should at least know the basics and explain to them like, I get mad at everybody that just say, hey, that metric is shit. Okay, explain to me why. And then you can give expertise. You could even like, I can say to some clients some things like I'm really, really not okay with them doing that. And they'll understand it as long as I can explain why. 
But if you're the kind of coach just saying, hey, don't do that because I said it, they're probably not going to respect you in the long run because he's like, well, he doesn't know a lot about it. He's, he's telling me not to do it. But if you can explain like, hey, the heart rate max is flawed because of, watch this metric in, instead. I think it's a more productive conversation and they'll ex they'll respect your expertise more in the long run. Yeah, I agree. That's very important. I think it's, um, it, it's really common for a new business owner to be defensive and, and just be not them, you know, say, no, they're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. We're the only one that's right. But instead uh, I think they need to understand what other people are doing better and that way they can guide them in the, in the use and the application of the technology or the training or whatever too. So, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how important would you say it is for a coach to understand heart rate technology, even if they don't use it in their gym? A year ago, I would have said three or four. And at the moment I would say six or seven, but just because a lot of people are coming in my gym, wearing them, asking about them. Also in my situation, I, I teach endurance athletes, athletes. So they come in with a lot of questions because from the running side, from the rowing side, you, those metrics get used a lot. So I think if you, it's okay to say like, Hey, I don't know a lot about it at this point, but I will look into it for you. But I don't think it's okay to keep saying as a coach, like, Hey, it's flawed. I don't know why, but it's flawed or, Hey, it's not my expertise. I don't know anything about it. You should at least like, as soon as you see people coming in, you should get the information any way possible and try to explain your reasoning to them. So in that way, I feel it's important because it's something I see coming up way more. When I started CrossFit five years ago, uh, I think it would be really occasional that you would see somebody doing CrossFit with a heart rate monitor. And these days, I think every class I teach has at least one person in it wearing some kind of an app or Fitbit or something like that that uses it. So it's, it's becoming more important just because you see it more often. Yeah, that's a great point. I see the same thing. And, and usually people are measuring something that doesn't matter. You know, how many calories did I burn during Fran is not, it's not relevant. But instead of us just saying it's not relevant, we have to explain to them what the real metric is. If I understand you. Yeah. And even like, it's, it's maybe like more of a stupid reasoning, but a lot of the people, they're really proud. Like, Hey, I bought this thing. It cost me $200. <laughs> if you just go in and like, Hey, it's shit. Don't use it. They're probably not going to like you a lot because they're proud. They bought it. They saved up for it. And if you're more like, Hey, I know you're looking at this metric. It really doesn't matter to, that much, but Hey, try looking at this one. This one's really useful to know. They at least don't feel like stupid, like, hey, I just spent $250 on something that doesn't do anything. They're like, ah, okay, I'll use it this way. Okay, that's very interesting. Never make a person feel stupid. Great point. Um, so I think what a lot of people are waiting for is uh, you said that you've developed some baseline tests for using the heart rate monitor or some baseline workouts. Can you describe or share some of those with us? So yeah, one of the things we do is like just an interval where we use interval training and then use the metric like one minute after. What is your heart rate recovery? Okay. So those numbers, it's, it's one of the workouts we do. You could program it any way you like. You could even do it with just normal cyclical rowing. 
It just matters the metric between heart rate recovery. So we do it every four months. We do it, and they see their uh, their number improve. So they're happy. They feel like oh, my heart is improving. For a lot of the older people, it means it means a lot. One of the other things we do is like okay, I'm gonna give you max rowing effort for an hour, but you have to stay below. 140 and see how many meters you can row. So also explain to them it doesn't even just how it feels like like you could go as far as like I have a lot of my people that I program for they have to give a number from 1 to 10 how difficult every workout feels. Okay. And sometimes they they don't even do like more work in the same time but it felt less awful. And that's also important because like if it feels less awful it probably means five minutes later you're going to be able to do something else you weren't able to do before so even they didn't pr the actual workout they improved it because they could do more afterwards because it didn't feel as awful and it's the same like with, with the heart rate like hey you were able to do the same uh, the f- 5k in the same time but your peak and your average heart rate went way down so even that is a PR because you could probably sustain it for more than 5K if you needed to. If the workout was 6K, you could probably use the same uh, time per 500 meters because you're able to sustain it. So that's one of the metrics we use. Hmm. There's a lot of things you can do. It's really, it's like any benchmark, just develop your own, depending on the equipment you have, depending on the people you have. But it's just saying like, Look at the numbers that matter and go from there. Okay. That's very interesting. So let's say that I'm an affiliate and I have $2,000 to spend on technology this year. Uh, I might buy accelerometers. I might buy heart rate monitors. I might buy something else. How would you spend that $2,000? At the moment, it would be actually like just a polar system and a screen. You would probably still have 1000 uh, left. Mm-hmm. Why? I've done accelerometers. Uh, I'm also in on the same Kickstarter as you are. I saw it on the internet. I have like the beast sensor. I have a sensor that measures central nervous system in the morning. So I tried it. It's like I said in the beginning, I'm a bit of a geek for toys. So if it's out there, I'll probably try it or own it. Mm-hmm. But most of them have been really at this point inconsistent. Like the, the metrics you get from the values, they, they're not the same every time. They don't matter for a lot of people. If you have that 45 year old person coming into the gym, does bar speed really matter when you're teaching a power clean? Probably not. So that's the reason I would choose for heart rate monitors because you can apply it in a normal group setting and it has value for every person in that class and the value heart rate by this time, we know how to measure heart rate. If it says the heart rate is 120, it's probably going to be 120 and not between 110 and 130, depending on how the accelerometer is sticking on the bar or something like that. So I think it's a system that has proven the most to be accurate and it's the most useful for the biggest amount of people you probably have in your group class. Very interesting. Okay, Peter Jan, this has been fantastic. Very enlightening. Thank you very much.
You're welcome. It was fun to be. I've been listening to them for a while, so it was fun to actually be on one. <laughs> okay. It's time for Critical Questions. Got a question for Chris? Email chris at twobrainbusiness.com. Here's our most critical question this week. Today's critical question is, how do I train or intern upcoming coaches? Eventually, you're going to reach a point where you need to bring on more help. If you're going to increase your bottom line, if you're just going to increase your sleep, you're going to need some help out there. I get it. So every gym is going to reach this point where they need to bring their coaches up to a certain standard. And if you've gone through our ramp-up program, then you've already written down like the values of the gym and all the other important stuff. When it comes time to recruit these coaches, though, putting them through an internship creates all kinds of problems. And number one, and probably the biggest, is that you're going to be creating the supposition, you know, the expectation of a job at the end. So what happens if you take somebody who looks good on paper, or maybe they're a quote-unquote good mover, and you start putting them through an internship program, and then you find out they have trouble showing up on time, or they freeze up in front of a group, or they have no interest in studying your continuing education plan. These cause problems. I've been through this. I spent well over $100,000 on staff that unfortunately just didn't work out. Part of the reason was that I didn't have a clearly defined role to put them in. I just thought that CrossFit coach was a self-explanatory term. And if I trained them up to identify a good squat, they would just kind of know what to do when I put them in front of a class. Other times, I had some great coaches who were just not good at the basics, consistency and happiness. So let's start there. When I'm identifying a new coach, the first things that I'm going to look for, the base of the pyramid, are first consistency and then happiness. Who shows up on time every day with their hair combed ready to go and who is always in a good mood. These are unteachable aspects of their personality and if they don't have them, I can't correct them later. Moving up the pyramid after consistency as the base and then happiness beyond that, I'm going to look at knowledge. The cool thing about knowledge is that I can teach them. And if I'm keeping these people for 10 or 15 years, I've got a lot of time to teach them what I need to know. Emotional intelligence as well as mechanics and you know coaching cues, stuff like that. So then we move into an advanced theory course. I need to filter people before I put them in front of a paying class. I can't just train somebody, give them the knowledge, and then throw them in front of people who are paying for a high-quality experience and hope for the best. That's a big risk for my clients that I'm not willing to take. So we're going to run once a year an advanced theory course, and it's going to be eight weeks long. Any of my clients who want to can participate. I don't say that it's a clear path to a job. In fact, sometimes I have to state to them that it's not. And what I'm promising, though, is a look behind the clipboard. I want to show them what a class looks like through a coach's eyes. I want to show them where our programming comes from. I want to give them some basic movement theory and some mechanics. Any athlete who wants to get better could make use of this knowledge, and the price for it is just their time. They're going to give up about 16 hours of their time, Saturday mornings, you know, and some regular class times, and I'm going to give them this extra knowledge. Again, the expectation is set that this is not a path to coaching necessarily. We're going to start with four weeks of theory. I'm going to give them a one-hour lecture every weekend, and then I'm going to give them some other videos. And all these videos are now available through our UpCoach programming on TwoBrainCoaching.com. We give them this knowledge, and then we ask them to train together. All the students in the advanced theory course showing up to the same class, getting used to one another. I'm just trying to break the ice here and remove some social barriers. 
the next four weeks, we're going to have them present knowledge back. So if I assign them some reading material or maybe some video material or they watch the lectures that I've assigned them through the UpCoach program, their job now is to take those basics and teach them back to the other students in the advanced theory course. And this is all broken down completely uh, in UpCoach and also on my site. I'll link to the article here. After they're practicing delivering this information back and condensing it, I'm going to have them coach one another. So now they can practice among their peers before I put them in front of a larger group of paying clients. This is usually a lot of fun and it usually filters out people who just can't present information well. After those eight weeks are done, I'm going to say, guys, I hope you learned a lot. That was a lot of fun. We'll see you in class. And if there is one standout that I think might make a good coach, then I'm going to invite them to the shadowing process. The shadowing phase only takes about two or three weeks at this point because I already know that the personality traits that I'm looking for are present, that the intangibles, the untrainables are checked off my list. So now I just have to give them the knowledge on how to actually implement a class. And I use UpCoach for this too. We'll go through six shadowing sessions where the client to be coach is shadowing a coach. So they'll watch, uh, they might lead the warm up. They might introduce the class and then they're going to watch and the head coach will take over, teach the skill, you know, cheerlead the wad, etc. And then the new intern might jump in and lead the cool down or something like that. After six sessions, the roles will be reversed. So the intern will uh, say good morning to the class. The head coach will introduce the intern and the workout and the intern will coach the skill and they'll also be cheerleading during, during the wad. During this time, we're also developing content to showcase the intern. So we're doing videos where the intern is establishing themselves as an authority. And we're showing this to the class so that when the intern eventually does lead their first class, all the clients say, oh, this is the guy who put out that video explaining the power clean. So they're ready to learn from him. You can put a brand new coach through the best internship program in the universe and if you put them in front of a class without them expecting his expertise, it's not going to work. They're going to say, where's Chris? You're doing it backward. You're starting on the back foot. After they've done our, uh, our shadowing stage of six and six, they're going to do an evaluation. And this evaluation is the exact same one that we use for our coaches. You can download it and use it as your own template if you want to. I don't expect perfection out of an intern. What I do expect is a 7 out of 10 across all categories. So before I'll put somebody in front of a class, I want them to be as close to a 10 as possible in all 12 areas of coaching that we measure. However, they're brand new. And so they need at least a minimum of 7 in everything. If they don't have a 7, if they have a 5 in communication or voice projection, I'll ask them to redo the 6 and 6 shadowing. And if they don't want to, that's fine. They can return to class. It didn't work out. No problem. If they do want to, they have another crack at it. And so they'll do six sessions following, six sessions leading again, and another evaluation. At this point, if they're a seven or above across the board, I'll invite them to get their L1. I'll also start segueing them into personal training sessions or into non-CrossFit sessions. So I might use them to help with our varsity program or with some of our sports performance programming or maybe even with on-ramp. A new coach faces two big variables that are challenging. One is a consistently shifting clientele. They see new faces every day. The other is consistently changing programming. They see new workouts and new combinations every day. 
So if I can hold one of those two things static, the programming or the clientele, they're going to have a much easier time working. They're going to be less paralyzed. They're going to have to hold less in their brain. They can be more relaxed, more confident, and the client can have a much better time. So if I start them with on-ramp, they're either seeing the same curriculum all the time and coaching the same movements, or they're seeing the same clients if I do personal training. So now they can get familiar, relax, explore new movements with the clients from a position of confidence. There's a lot more to it, of course, including, you know, what do I lecture about? What are these guys teaching? What kind of workouts do I have them coach first? How do I create careers? All this stuff is covered on the twobrainbusiness.com and twobraincoaching.com sites. I'll link to some helpful stuff here. But the bottom line, guys, is that we're not teaching people how to teach a squat. We're teaching people how to coach. We're training leaders more than we're training data collectors and identifiers. We're not training check-in clerks. We're not training cleaners here. We are training people who are responsible for changing our clients' lives. That means that we have to address movement standards, also group control, but also emotional intelligence. And that is what UpCoach in our advanced theory course was created for. You can see some samples on TwoBrainCoaching.com. Go there today, check it out, use all you can, help these coaches create meaningful careers.